0: Welcome to the Well Community Church Podcast. For more information on us and our mission to help people connect to God and to each other in every neighborhood, check us out at thewellcommunity.org or on our app, The Well Friends. Well, good evening, church. I hope you're having a good Thursday. Uh, I actually found myself reflecting a little bit about y'all this week, believe it or not. Uh, I'm creeping up on 20 years in Fresno, moved here in 2004, uh, and I just started thinking about just the depths of relationships that occur after 20 years. and just really grateful for uh, the number of you that I know in this room personally. Some of you know more about me than you probably care to know. Uh, Some of you, maybe we just rub shoulders together, but I'm grateful for just the history of this church and Uh, what God has done through you for me and those sorts of things. So if I have not had the privilege to meet you, by the way, as Josh said, uh, my name is Mike Sladen. I'm one of the teaching pastors here on staff and I get the great privilege of picking up where we left off last week. So if you got your Bible with you, we're going to be in Joshua chapter four. uh, And we've been learning now for these last several weeks, the story of a faithful God. Uh, And Brad, I thought a marvelous job last week. If you you missed his message, you really need to go back and, and listen to that. And I don't say that just because he gives me a raise for complimenting him. He does, but I also saving is he was tremendous. He did a great job and he he talked to this idea of, of of man, in the old testament uh, the saints of God, man, they had the spirit on them, and the spirit would move um, over them and, and through them. But boy, as we get to heaven one day and think, man, how awesome would it be to talk to, to Moses and Joshua and hear the stories of the parting of Red Seas and the Jordan River and the plagues and the Passover and all these miraculous things that these people saw firsthand, there really is a sense that I think he's right. And they're going to say, "But wait a second. The very spirit of the living God lives in you. God found a way in his holiness to put uh, his spirit inside of you. You are sealed in that. And just the mind-blowingness of what that is. So again. If you missed last week, I really encourage you to go back and uh, listen to that, because we are now, based on what we saw last week in chapter 3, we're on the other side of the Jordan River. We watched God uh, do what he had not done in 40 years. He parted the Red Sea, and now 40 years later, almost to the day, by the way, uh, God now parts the Jordan River, allows the Israelites to cross on dry land, and it is an amazing story uh, of this group of people uh, that cross over. Now we find ourselves no longer on the east side of the Jordan River, no longer uh, with a natural border of protection from the enemies that that were walking into uh, the land that they currently occupy. But boy, that border is gone. And for the next two weeks in chapter four and chapter five, what you are going to see from God makes zero logistical sense, which is typical of God, right? We see so often through the story of Joshua and really all throughout our Old Testament uh, that God loves to stack the deck against himself. He loves to do things that don't make any sense to cause the people to trust. Uh, This week, we're going to see this maybe the three or four. And next week, we're going to see that at a 10 in terms of what God is going to call his people to do uh, to trust him. And one of the things based on what happened last week and the significance of these people's lives, he's going to call them to stop and remember. Uh, to not forget the miraculous hand of God and how he has been caring for them, Uh, not just at the Red Sea, not just the last 40 years, but now finally through the parting of the Jordan River and how every day God allowed this people to live and he provided for them in incredible ways. And God's going to say, I don't want you to forget that. I want you to stop and intentionally remember. Uh, There's something pretty powerful about this idea of remembering. I remember uh, the first time I got to go over to Israel. Uh, We get to go lead tours over there as a church, and many of you have been on that trip with us. And we do a lot of really cool things. We see biblical sites, and as you read the Bible, you're reading places, you're like, I stood there, and I know that land. I can see it maybe differently now. Uh, But not only do we tell and kind of walk people through the ancient story of Israel and their history, but we also walk through the modern story of Israel. And we go to a place called Yad Vashem. Uh, the Holocaust Museum. Maybe many of you have visited that one uh, in Israel, maybe Washington, D.C. There's several across the world that are are pretty powerful. And if you've been there, uh, it is a gut-wrenching story. It's one of those places that you're glad you went and you're equally glad that you're leaving because it is is gut-wrenching to hear this. And I remember the first time I stood there, we're standing in this kind of this breezeway, this outside location uh, amongst all of these beautiful olive trees called the Righteous Among the Nations. And each one of these trees represents an individual that during this time of the Holocaust was selfless and they chose to somehow aid the victims of the people that were uh, being massacred uh, at the hands of the Germans and in the atrocities that were going on. And uh, our guide, Ronan, was telling us these stories about Oscar Schindler and Cory ten Boom and the other stories that we know and that we've heard about. And we're there and obviously it's a very impactful moment and you go through the tour and you you see it all. And then he said something almost casually. He said, you know, it's interesting as Americans, y'all know this story. You're familiar with the Holocaust." You study it in, in your textbooks as you grow up. He said, there's tours that I lead with certain people groups across the world that have never heard of the Holocaust. He, says, he mentions names like Oscar Schindler. They're like, who? I have no idea who that is. As they talk about the Holocaust. Like, oh yeah, I heard about World War II. I know about Germany and the Allied forces and Axis forces and all that was going on there. But like, what's the Holocaust? Six million people were slaughtered. Uh, 1.5 million kids and there's multiple countries around our earth that have no idea that it even existed. And the reason, primary reason that that happened is because people fail to tell the story. Maybe it's because there's a black mark kind of in their character and and they were a part of that and they just don't want to tell that story. Uh, And those people that remember it and were there for it now refuse to tell that to their kids. They won't put it in their textbooks. And we are raising currently a generation of people who do not remember, who have forgotten the atrocities of what has happened in their past. And in a lot of ways, the story that we're looking at tonight is that idea. It's a call to remembrance. It's a call to never forget the miraculous deeds of God in our world. We get that in our world as well. That's why We have 9-11 memorials and Pearl Harbor memorials and things of that nature so that we as Americans don't forget when there are now generations that have gone by that weren't alive for those things that we would still remember those things of the Lord. So now as we pick up in Joshua chapter 4, that really this idea of stop and remember is going to be prominent all throughout this section of scripture. This idea is the book of Deuteronomy says, remember remember. Don't forget, it's one of the themes that we see uh, throughout the Old Testament, specifically in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. But for our purposes in Genesis, or sorry, Joshua chapter 4, let's pick up there and let's now watch that they are on the other side of this Jordan River, defenseless, so to speak, uh, two miles away probably from their enemy. And here's what God now calls them to do. He says, now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priests' feet are standing firm and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So the entire nation is crossed, right? 1.5, maybe upwards of 3 million people on the high side estimate have crossed over the Jordan River. They are all safely across. The priests are still standing in the middle of the Jordan River. They are first in and and last out. And God tells Joshua, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take 12 men, men that we picked in chapter 3. They're going to go back into the river and they're going to go, pick up 12 stones. Each man, each from a tribe of the nation of Israel, is going to take a stone with him from out of the river and bring it up to the place where they're going to lodge this evening. This idea of stones would have been a very familiar concept to the Israelites. They're high priest to the nation. The first guy that um, was there was a guy by the name of Aaron, Moses' brother. And As he went in to minister before the Lord, as he would make atonement for the people, make sacrifices uh, to make a holy God acceptable uh, or make a people acceptable to a holy God, he would enter in into uh, this place with God the tabernacle wearing a breastplate and on that breastplate were twelve stones each stone represented the tribe that you were from so you knew when that man went in to offer sacrifices on your behalf to atone for your sin that you were represented physically so this idea for them would have been a very familiar one take a stone this stone will be from Judah this one from Issachar this one from Zebulun and this man this leader of the tribe would take that stone that would represent that entire tribe and they're going to take that from out of the middle of the Jordan River to the place uh, we're told here where they're going to lodge tonight if you go all the way down to verse 19 we find out where that is says, now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Uh, so they're traveling again west uh, towards Jericho. They're probably about two miles away at this point from Jericho. Uh, Jericho's a little bit above them, uh, but they would have certainly been an eyesight of them. Again, no natural border between them. So as you're completely exposed, as you are completely vulnerable, instead of battle instructions, instead of digging in, this is what God says. We're going to stop and remember. Everybody go grab a rock and we're going to remember this event. Uh, and it's, just, it's on the 10th uh, of this month, basically four days before Passover, almost 40 years to the day when they left Egypt and God opened the doors for them to go. And you'll notice back up in verse four that Joshua does exactly as God commands. It says, Joshua called the 12 men, "...whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, "'Cross again.'" Uh, to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan and take each of you, uh, sorry, each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of of the tribes of the sons of Israel. So now go back in where the priests still remain, uh, grab this rock, put it on your shoulder, so something big enough that would have required them to carry it on their shoulder, something not so huge that they couldn't walk into Gilgal, so I don't know exactly what they look like, but something significant obviously in size so that they would understand uh, the meaning behind that and that each rock again would represent the tribe where they come from. And the leaders obey. Look down at now verse 8. It says, Then the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded. They took up now 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Each carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. You see again, this idea repeated. 12 stones, 12 tribes, that everyone there would have been represented by one of these men, who are bringing these ultimately to the place where they are going. Now, these stones are going to be set up in a pile, a rock pile, a very simple rock pile. And they serve a very significant purpose in this story. It's really the theme of chapter 4. We're going to circle back to that in a minute, but what I'd like to do is continue to move through the rest of this narrative. So skip down there to verse 10, and let's watch now um, as they continue to move forward. It says, now the priest in verse 10, who carried the ark, were standing in the middle of the Jordan River until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, and the people hurried across. And when all the people had finished crossing, The ark of the Lord and the priest cross before the people. Again, the priests are still standing there. The people come in. They get their stones. They're the first in and last out. And now that everyone is through, uh, we're going to kind of move towards now the east or the west side of the Jordan River. But before we do, I want you to notice in verse 12 and 13, uh, the three tribes now that come good on their promise. It says, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. You remember these three-and-a-half tribes or two-and-a-half tribes, really? Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh? They were the guys that were parked on the east side of the Jordan that asked for the land over there initially. Uh, They asked Moses. Moses had like a mild freak-out moment where he was like, Are you kidding me? Like, you're a bunch of deserters, and you're not with us. And they're like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. we're in. Uh, And they said, we're in, not just to Moses, but Joshua. We're faithful to you, so when you cross over, we will be ready to go. We will come with you to fight this battle. Even though our area of land has already been uh, dealt with, we are going to come help you fight. And these men now cross over with the rest of their brothers. And in verse 14, it says, On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. Now, I can't imagine a more difficult leadership transition than taking the baton out of Moses' hand and leading in his stead. And yet, God sets him up for success. And in chapter 3, by the way, God told Joshua that he would do exactly this. We're told in chapter 3, verse 7, The Lord said to Joshua, This day... I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. It's the theme that we saw all throughout chapter three, that God is with these people. He is with their leader. He is going before them into battle. He is the one that ultimately is fighting these battles. So. Moses sets Joshua up for success. God affirms this. uh, The people are going to follow you and listen to you. uh, As Joshua is just told to walk with God, to obey, uh, to fear the Lord, and to walk with him, and all would turn out for their good. And God causes now not just um, that picture to happen, but also the people now to put their trust in him and his leadership. As we move now to verse 15, notice this. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony that they may come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came about when the priests who would carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up onto dry ground, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and all went over its banks as before. Can you imagine that moment? One, to see the waters part initially. And then for the priest to stand there the entire time as the entire nation crossed before them, for 12 men to come then back in to take stones and to take them out of the Jordan River. And at the right time, did Joshua say, okay, it's time. You men bring the ark, come out of the Jordan River, and as soon as their feet hit dry land on the outer the western banks of the Jordan River, God in that moment causes the river to come back together. It is a beautiful picture of God's authority over all of this. And the question is, they now head to Gilgal, and God is going to have them park it there for tonight. God instructs his people about these rocks. And the million dollar question is, why this? Why now? Why is God having them uh, perform this ceremony? So much of this text revolves around these stones that were picked up. I well, want you to go back now to verse six, and we're going to see God explain in great detail what these mean and why he is so strongly about this at this specific point. Look at Joshua chapter four, verse six. It says, let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off so these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. I want you to notice a couple things that God highlights in this and why he's doing this. Number one, he says this is going to be a sign among you. A sign is something that serves uh, to point to a, a greater reality, something that is there to, uh, to draw our attention in. We see these things every day. As you're driving down a road and, and you come up to uh, an intersection, you don't go, oh, look at this marvelous um, octagonal red piece of metal how wonderful, right? You, no, no, no that, that's actually there to tell me something. The sign isn't there for itself. The sign is there to tell you uh, you need to pay attention. You need to stop. There, there's danger ahead. If you fail to stop at this intersection, it could potentially cost you your life. It reminds us of those things. Exit signs on the freeway, um, speed limit. Uh, those are optional. That's not a good example. If you're in your house and you see a skull and a crossbones on a piece of cleaning product. You would think, boy, there's danger there. That's poisonous. These are all signs that tell us that something needs to be heated or or warned. Uh, Our very body has that. If we get fevers, it's a sign that something is going on within us. It's telling us that, hey, something's off. Your body is fighting some type of infection. The fever isn't the problem. It's what's inside of us that's going on. And all of those things are pictures of something. Well, in the Old Testament, signs were objects that pointed to a spiritual reality. In two primary areas, signs pointed to God's power and God's promises. These would include things like maybe natural phenomena. They could be monuments like what we're talking about here, a simple rock pile. They could be miracles that are done by the hand of some individual that God has empowered. Uh, It could also be maybe prophetic acts, things that were spoken that were even yet future, that God had empowered individuals to know the future, to confirm things that he was saying. Uh, All over the Old Testament, we see that. The 10 plagues in the Passover were signs of God's power and a promise of his deliverance. Uh, the rainbow in Genesis chapter six, uh, chapter nine rather, is a sign, a promise that God would never again destroy the earth by a flood. So every time we see a rainbow in the sky after it rains, we're to be reminded, God, you will never um, handle the earth again. In that way you made a covenant with all of humanity. The Sabbath, by the way, is a sign of God's promise that he will sanctify us, as we're told in the book of Exodus. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw Rahab who hung uh, a scarlet cord out her window. It It was a sign of her faith, a symbol of what she believed internally. So, this first thing, this idea is that signs serve to point to a greater reality. But, secondly, signs serve as reminders to help us to not forget. Look down at verse 21, and God's going to go into even further detail as to what he means by this pile of rocks. Verse 21, he said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? And you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed. And that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Here's the reality. There's a time coming in Israel when this day that these people just experienced as they crossed over the Jordan River, that day, that miracle, that powerful moment where God interceded for them will simply be forgotten. It's going to be in the rearview mirror. Life's going to happen. Things are ultimately going to come, and life will simply move on. And these stones are reminders of that event, specifically, not for this generation but for the generations ultimately that would come after them so that Israel would not, as the years ticked off, forget the faithfulness of God. From the Red Sea 40 years ago to his daily provision in the wilderness to now the Jordan River crossing, they are to remember all of that. And I want you to notice, according to verse 21, so clearly who these things are for. It says, when your children ask, uh, they're going to walk by the stone pile and say, hey, Dad, what is that? Uh, and they're going to go, oh, yeah, I was there for that. I remember that. I walked across the river. You were still in your mommy's tummy. Or you're a little three-year-old. You don't, you don't remember that. And it's a trigger for them to tell the story, a reminder for them to say, let me tell you about the day that God parted the sea, to blow their mind and to, to tell these stories. So it's not necessarily just for those that are crossing, though maybe a picture of it is, but it's more for the generations that are to come. And I want you to notice even more specifically here, it says, when your children ask who? Their fathers. The spiritual leadership, that onus here, is put on the dads. Now, that's not to say that the the moms shouldn't tell the story, or the moms are somehow incapable, or they wouldn't be great at that. But there's a sense where God is looking to the men, the spiritual leaders in their home, and say, hey, dads, I want you to take upon the mantle of leadership To be a servant to your family, to tell these stories, to remind um, your family of the godliness that that is about the nation. You are, in a sense, fanning the flame of the spiritual temperature in your home. You get the privilege of doing that. Uh, It's a beautiful picture. And by the way, this idea is all over the scripture. I want you to listen to this from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema. Uh, It's a. A text that would have been very well known uh, to all Israelites, probably put to memory. It says, This, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, uh, sorry, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. God says the, the spiritual temperature of the land is gonna be determined not by the church, but ultimately by the family. That white hot center is ultimately there. And God says in every aspect of life, whether you sit down, whether you rise up, whether you're walking, whether you're um, going to bed at night, in every opportunity you have with your kids, tell these stories. Talk about the faithfulness of God because I think God knew something about this people, that they had a propensity just like us To forget the mighty deeds of God. It's just the reality that we live in. In fact, in Deuteronomy, God warns the Israelites before this event that we just read occurred. I want you to listen to this section where he talks about the Israelites ultimately coming into the land. He says, for the Lord, this is Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 7 and following, if you want to follow with me. He says, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat without scarcity. Can you imagine that? After they've been eating manna for 40 years, you will eat without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied, have built good houses and lived in them, And when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and your gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of slavery. He says, y'all, it's just a tendency. All of us do it. It's not a thing that we do intentionally. It's not because we're ultimately trying to sin um, actively against the Lord. Life just simply moves on. And God says eight times in chapter eight and chapter nine of Deuteronomy to remember or not forget because they had the propensity to forget the mighty deeds of God. The gravitational pull of life is simply going to lead them there. Once you have all these blessings, good homes and full stomachs and a, a full bank account, the, the tendency is for all of us to forget about God's power and God's promises and the things that he has done in their lives. Because the reality is once we end up moving through those turbulent waters of life, once we're on the other side, that's in the rearview mirror. And it's kind of so our tendency just to look forward into what's next. So this rock pile is not just to remember the past but it's to allow God's past faithfulness to influence how they're gonna move forward, to remember how he has interacted with them in the past, how he has been faithful to his promises, faithful to deliver them, so that in the future when they hit hard times or they hit times of abundance, to say, God, you have provided all of these things. As God was faithful then, you will be faithful even today. And that propensity, unfortunately, of the Israelites to be forgetful, it didn't die with them, did it? Uh, you're the exact same way, and I know that because I'm the exact same way. I spend a lot of time looking forward and very little time looking in the rearview mirror. Uh, that is probably a thing that we all need to work on. And as we conclude our time together, I might maybe just want to give us three thoughts from this text, three ideas of maybe what we do with this. Number one, I would say this. God oftentimes does things in our lives so that we will intentionally exalt him. You'll notice at the end of of Joshua chapter 4, the text that we already read in verses 23 and 24, it says, the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until uh, you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed. And here's why, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God did this so his name would be exalted, so that we would take time to remember him and talk about him. Um, He could have done this a thousand different ways, but in order to bring glory to himself as the God of the universe, he says, I'm going to do it this way. And he does that so often in their lives, in our lives as well, so that we will remember what he has done. I would guess that if if I pushed you on this and said, tell me about these stories in your life, where have you seen the miraculous hand of God? We could tell story after story together of how God has intervened, how God has saved individuals, uh, how God has healed the sick, how he has done so many different things in our life. And so often, the reason he does that is so that we will give glory to him and give credit to God and say, "I, I have no idea how this happened, but God stepped in, God did the unthinkable, the unimaginable, and here I am alive today, or this family member's alive, or whatever it may be, uh, and those things are there so often so that we would point to him. Secondly, I would say this. It is our responsibility, as those who have seen the mighty works of God, to stop and to remember. It is the generation's job who has seen that to say, Lord, we need to stop, and we need to take inventory of what you have done. One of the foundational practices here at the well is just that, to celebrate the work of God in our life. Um, Parents, think about that for you. What does that look like in your home? What events, what um, life passages are you celebrating in your home? From weddings, to the birth of children, to somebody graduating you thought, there's no way they're going to make it out of high school, and here they are. To celebrate those things, God's done a work in your life to mark those moments, I had the privilege a number of years ago of walking through a manhood ceremony with one of my buddy's kids who was turning 13 years old. He said, I want to mark this moment with my son. I want him to know when he became a man. And he invited a bunch of men in. He gave us each an assignment. He said, I want you to talk to my son about what it means to reject passivity. And I want you to talk to my son about what it means to accept responsibility. I want you to talk to my son about what it means to lead courageously. And we would just take him on a couple-minute walk, and we'd say, Cooper... Here's what you're stepping into. Here's what manhood is all about. Um, it's about hard things sometimes. It's about uncomfortable things. It's about paying the bills. It's about whatever, right? It's about leading your home in godliness. And I had the privilege of walking in that moment with this kid. And I would imagine now, Cooper's probably, oh, pushing 17, 18 years old at this point. I bet if you asked him today, do you remember when you became a man? He would say, Absolutely. Uh, it was back there right off Nee's Avenue at my house that I was in with my dad, and those men walked us through. Because his dad just had the wherewithal to say, hey, we're going to stop, and we're going to mark a moment in the life uh, of my boy. Uh, I watched Michelle, my wife, do this with all of our girls. Each one of them, when they turned 13, got to pick whatever they wanted to do with my wife that weekend. They could go wherever they wanted, the budget allowed, right? Uh, Paris, like, no, no, no. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> Argyle, how about that? Uh, you know, simple places, right? But, but they, my wife would take them, and part of the purpose of them was talking about things that are happening to their bodies and that sorts of thing, but part of it was just to prepare them for, this is what it means to be a woman. This is the stage of life that you're walking into. They would talk about uncomfortable things that I'm so glad I was not there for, right? Uh, but my wife intentionally did that. Parents, that is a privilege that we have to stop and mark those moments, to think about that. Uh, And it's not just obviously for the moms and the dads, that's for singles as well. Maybe it's the things in your homes that we celebrate. God, you helped me pass that chemistry class. I had no idea how that was ever gonna happen. You walked me through this really painful breakup and no, you didn't give me what I asked for, but I saw your hand in it. I saw you present with me in it. Whatever those things may be. It may be simple as a a prayer of reflection as we lay our head down in the middle of the night before we go to bed and say, God, I saw you today. I woke up and you put breath in my lungs. We saw the sun today for the first time in a few days. God, thank you for that. You have brought rain into our land that we have begged you for, for years. And now we're actually asking you to stop. It's been great. Thank you. Uh, It's it's good. But but God, you've provided, right? Um, and, And just being cognizant of, Lord, what have you done? Where have you shown up? Maybe not even huge ways, but just marking those moments. And I just want to remind us all, it is never convenient to do that. It is always difficult. There's always the tyranny of the urgent. There's always more important things that need to get done. But God says, no, Joshua, stop. Remember, grab these rocks. Tell your kids about what this means. And then lastly, I would say this. One generation's faithfulness to obey sets up the next generation for success. It's not a guarantee right there are no things that Lord if I do this and you're going to do this, but there is a sense where if we as the maybe the older generation will be faithful to walk with God and to remember God and just walk with him, there is a sense that our kids get to stand on the shoulders of giants that they get to see how their moms and their dads and their family their aunts and their uncles walked with God. Um, I remember so clearly walking out in the garage the other day and in between like the extension cords and the light bulbs and the cases of these things. I have a box in my garage that says Michelle's Journals. There's a box of probably 20, 30, 40, I don't know, journals for my wife. Uh, we're getting ready to celebrate our 25-year our anniversary. And those journals go back from when we were dating and even friends before that. And she just journaled and remembered the faithful things of God. And as our kids would talk about, mom, you don't know what that's like. You don't know what this struggle is like. She's like, I do. Yeah. Uh uh-huh. You know what your daddy was like when he was, you know, I've dealt with knuckleheaded men before or whatever, and she would just share stories and say, I've been there, I've walked through that. Here's how God answered my prayer. Here's how I was devastated and didn't get what I wanted, but God was there with me in it. Or here's how, now, I don't even care about that anymore. That was so important to me when I was 16, and I could care less now. And she's used those as tools just to, to walk with our daughters through that. Uh, rock pile, so to speak, in her life. And I think in really, there, there's three areas where we can do that. As individuals, we can certainly do that. We can all also do that as a family. We need people around us, whether it's our physical family or even the family of God, our community around us. So when my life is a wreck, I can look at y'all and say, look, Lord, I, I don't know what you're putting me through right now. But boy, it's so good to hear what's happening in Bob's life, to know it's you're, you're working in his life. Or to know, man, this is God, this is what you're doing in the debutio's home. And it, it encourages me, or here are the folks who I do life with, and this is how God is working with them. So it it it, it broadens my, my perspective and my circle and to know, God, it's just not about me. And though my life may be one way, you're working in a much grander way. And then we even do that as the body of Christ. We're called to stop and to remember in baptism and in communion to celebrate what our Savior ultimately did for us on the cross. So um, as we think about those things, I think it's a beautiful reminder of uh, how we are called today to do what they did way back then. Because we have the same tendency in us that they did, which is to forget and to move on. And God has called us to remember. I want to show you maybe one last. Just oh, by the way, uh, we skipped the verse. I don't know if you noticed or not, uh, but verse nine we kind of plowed right over, and I did it on purpose. I want you to go back there because there's actually not one rock pile. There's actually two. There's one where they took the stones out of the middle of the Jordan River and they brought them to the banks of Gilgal where they were going to stay that night, but there's a second rock pile mentioned in verse 9. It's just kind of obscure. It says, then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. Why? Why would you put a rock pile in the middle of the Jordan River? It's there for a moment, but then the waters are going to come right back over it, and you're never going to see it again. I, I wonder, I, I, I just, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if this isn't a picture of something. Uh, as best we can tell, the word Jordan comes from the word judgment, the waters of judgment. So you've got a group of rocks that were in the Jordan River, in the waters of judgment, and they were taken out and they were removed. And then you've got a group of stones on the bank of the Jordan that were outside of the rivers of judgment, and they were put in. There's a substitution. The ones that were to be judged were removed from judgment, but their cost was not free. There were 12 rocks, 12 stones that took their place, so to speak. There was a substitution involved. And if the Old Testament really is about pictures of our Messiah, our Savior and pictures of the atonement, pictures of the one who would come and ultimately take away our sin and be our sinless substitute. I wonder if this isn't one of those moments where the people went, God, I see what you're doing. This is a reminder to us that our sin costs us something, that removal from the waters of judgment is not free. It cost you something, and there was an exchange that took place. Friends, if you're new to the well or even new to Christianity, this is the story ultimately of the Bible, of the one who would come and lay his life down as a substitute for all of us. And that person who Joshua and these, this generation saw in front of them, didn't know he was coming yet, we now look out in our rearview mirror. That's the person of Jesus Christ, and that is why we are here and who we ultimately celebrate week in and week out. And that's the story of the gospel, one who died in our place. And if you've never met uh, this Savior, this Messiah, we would love to talk to you more about him as he did come and he did indeed lay his life down as a sinless substitute for all of us that we may know God. And he took upon us the waters, or upon himself the waters of judgment, so to speak, so that we would not have to. And we would love to tell you more about that Savior. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for... Just a reminder to all of us, as a forgetful people, as Israel was as well, uh, that we are to stop and remember. We thank you, God, that you instruct us in our lives, that you help us to walk through this process. So, God, as we as um, men and women, as dads, as as moms, as uh, every role that we play in life, go through life, and, God, so quickly forget your works, would would you cause us to slow down and to pause and to remember your great deeds Would we give you glory? Would we remember your works? Would we be faithful to communicate those things to the next generation, God? Would would you be honored in the way that we uplift you and remind the folks that come after us of the great and mighty promises and provision of our God? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for joining the Well Community Church Podcast. Be sure to check out thewellcommunity.org or our app, The Well Fresno, for more information on us, ways to connect, service times, and locations.